Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. What does it look like for us to be on high alert as we wait for the return of Jesus? That's what we're going to get into today. We're going to be talking about the end times and the return of Jesus. We're going to look at Mark chapter 13 where Jesus addresses this. So think about what's your reaction, just internally, to thinking about the end of the world? Is it fear? Is it curiosity? Like, ooh, I'd really like to know more about this. The Bible's kind of, there's all these weird symbols and all these things. I'd like to know more about the end of the world and Jesus coming back. Is there confusion? Maybe there's skepticism. Maybe you're just like, really? Come on. Like, Jesus, this guy, he's going to come back. Like, he's going to just, like, fly down through the clouds. What? How does this look? I don't know. So maybe there's skepticism. But Jesus, I think, here gives us some direction and some answers that we're going to look at this morning. So whatever reaction you have, it is an important thing and topic to think about and to wrestle with because it has a huge impact in our day-to-day life, whether we realize it or not, because it is so important to think about the end times, when Jesus returns. It's so important to think about the end of the world because it impacts the way that we live right now. And we have to ask these questions. How can we be ready How can we be on high alert? How can we be paying attention? What we do today, tomorrow, the next day, it impacts the way that we understand. So what do we do? What do we do in our everyday life to understand and be ready for the return of Jesus? Because it has an impact on how we understand the return of Jesus. So the main point this morning we're going to look at over and over is this. Be on guard and ready for the return of Jesus. Simple. You can memorize that, take it home with you. Be on guard and ready for the return of Jesus. We're continuing through our Follow Jesus series, and we're really almost to the end of the book. We only have two more Sundays left in this series. And what we'll see is that Jesus is very, he's in Jerusalem, and very soon will be crucified and die on the cross. And so we're getting to the point, like the, we're getting to the, like the, the main point of the movie, if it was a movie, right? And so we're getting there, and I'm excited to continue in that and finish that. But what we're looking at today is Mark 13. And so, I lost my place. There it is. So since the time of Jesus, there have been discussions and arguments over what the return of Jesus will be like. When will it happen? How will it happen? Will it happen all at once? Will it happen in stages? Right? All these questions about the return of Jesus. And a lot of people have tried to predict the end of the world. And obviously we're still here, so they were wrong. Right? And so um, there's, there's one group, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, which were, there are many here in Montreal. They, as a group, right, have had false predictions of the end of the world in the following years. Now just track with me. Listen, so 1874, 1878, 1881. So all pretty close. Then they gave up for a little bit. Then they moved 1910, 1914, 1918, 1925. Then they wait 50 years, 1975, 
1984. Each one of those times, they had predictions, oh, the world's going to end this year. Obviously, they were not right. In 1988, a Christian book was published called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. I have not read it. I don't know the reasons, but obviously it doesn't really matter because it didn't happen, right? Um, if you remember, and I remember this just not too long ago, in, in, on December 21st, 2012, the Mayan calendar predicted that the world would end on December 21st, 2012. It didn't. Sorry, right? Um, these guys, so again, another prediction, they were pretty bold because they put up a billboard with a date. Hey, Judgment Day is coming. Uh, be ready, May 21st, 2011. Um, you can listen to their radio show or go to their website, but apparently they were wrong because we're still here, right? And so it's something that has been talked about and predicted and all these kinds of things. It's obviously something that we as humans are curious about. And the big, like, churchy theological word, right, here's your school lesson for today, for this topic is eschatology, which simply means the last things, right? I just want you to see that. It's just kind of a strange word. There's your, you can bring it up in parties. Hey, I learned a new word today. Eschatology, it means last things. But it just simply means the study of the last things. So Jesus addresses this in our passage today. So we're going to read it in pieces. We're going to end up reading the whole chapter, so hang with me. Um, and I'll say, like, if, you, um, if English is not your first language, as we read, man, follow along in a French Bible, follow along in a Spanish Bible. You're welcome to do that. It's easier to track with a lot of it. Um, but you can also, like, stick with us in English too. Okay. All right, so we're going to start with reading Mark chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, kind of set the stage. Here's what it says. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one here there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be? accomplished. So to set the stage here, Jesus and his disciples are basically sightseeing in Jerusalem, right? They weren't from Jerusalem, but they go there because this is where Jesus is going to be crucified. And, and they're in Jerusalem. They leave the temple. They're walking around. They're like looking up like people do, like tourists in Montreal. And they're looking up and like, wow, look at these buildings. And they're looking around. And that's basically what they're saying. Like, wow, look how amazing this place is and all of the things here in the city of Jerusalem. And then it says they walk up to what's called the Mount of Olives. And so for them, it was a walk up and they sat down and they're like overlooking the city and they're like sitting kind of like facing, they can see the temple. And so Jesus, while they're in the city said, yeah, it's all going to be destroyed. Then they take this long walk and they go sit down and the disciples are like, hey, um, what you said down in the city, tell us more about that. When is everything going to be destroyed? Right? So it's imagine if you were walking around in downtown Mont Montreal and you're walking, you're looking at everything, then you do the long hike, the long um, sweaty hike up the mountain, up the stairs. Has anyone done that, right? You walk up and you sit and you're overlooking the city. Right? This is the kind of sense. This is what's happening in this passage. And they get there and they say, Jesus, when is it going to happen? You said everything's going to be destroyed. Tell us more about this, right? And what Jesus answers, what we're going to see, is that Jesus seems to be describing two things at the same time. So track with me here. He's, he's talking about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. 
And that happened, you can go look in history, in 70 AD, the Romans came and just absolutely destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, they did all this stuff, and Jerusalem was, like, it was totally destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. But at the same time, Jesus is talking and alluding to when he will come again, his second coming in the end of the world. So when we read through this passage, both of those things are kind of happening, and Jesus is talking about both of them kind of at the same time. And so the disciples say, hey, when will these things happen? What will be the signs? So we're going to continue to read, but a couple of things that I want to point out that we're going to read. There's a lot of, like, apocalyptic language. There's a lot of strange language here in the, in the scripture this morning. Words like eschatology, which I already gave you, right? Words like tribulation and the idea of, like, the sun being darkened and the stars falling from the sky and this phrase we're going to look at that's the abomination that causes desolation, right? That's an intense phrase that you can just kind of drop and use with friends as well. But basically what it means, you're going to hear it as we read, but what it means is it's a phrase that's found multiple times in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, and it refers to an event or a person who is set on destroying God's people. So it's almost like you can say, instead of saying the abomination that causes desolation, you could say the worst possible thing that you could imagine, right? That's really what it's alluding to. And so again, it points us to two things as Jesus talks about it. First, it is talking about the temple, the Jewish temple, the place where they worshiped, the place where they honored God, they did sacrifices, everything, that was going to be destroyed. And for them, that's the worst thing they could imagine, that their temple, their place of worship, this is the abomination that causes desolation. So it happened by the Romans in 70 AD, but Jesus is also talking about and pointing to one day when he will come again, when things will be destroyed and Jesus will come back. So we're going to read more. Hope you're tracking with me. In a nutshell, in this whole packet, pa- passage, not package, passage, Jesus describes the coming destruction of Jerusalem, And he tells his followers to be on guard and ready because one day he will come again to gather his people to himself. Some of this may seem like an entirely different language to you. That's okay. Hang with me. Stick with me this morning. We're going somewhere with it. Okay, we're going to read the whole chapter. And as we read, we want to see and answer this question, how can we be on guard and ready for the return of Jesus? All right, so starting in verse 5, this is after the disciples said, hey, when are these things going to happen? Verse 5, it says, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings, beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you, given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. 
And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. I feel you on that one. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation, that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, or in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. All right, I know, that was a lot. There's a lot going on there. We're going to break it down a bit. Um, and I won't get to everything, but it's something that we can talk about after church or in discipleship groups or over coffee sometime to say, hey, let's talk about this. It's interesting. What's Jesus getting at with all these different things? But we're going to get to as much as we can this morning. So two primary things that I want us to see in this chapter with Jesus, two com primary commands that he gives are be on guard and be ready. All right? First of all, be on guard. And this is something that Jesus hits multiple times. This idea of pay attention. Be on guard. When I was a kid, often, and he still does this now, but my dad, if we were driving around, we kind of grew up in the country where there's animals and wild animals, and there was always something like, and, and there was always deer, and we would see deer. But my dad would say this phrase. I don't know if anyone else says it because I think it's a little odd, but he would say, keep your eyes peeled for deer. I'm not sure what that means. I think it means keep your eyes open, um, watching, but it's this idea of paying attention, being alert. He really wanted us to look and say, hey, Dad, there's deer over there. Okay, cool. There's another one. Wow. All right. So keep your eyes peeled. This is the idea. Be on guard. Pay attention. Be alert. Be looking. And so as we look through this, I want to see three ways that Jesus tells us to be on guard. First of all, Jesus says, be on guard against false teachers. Verses 5 and 6, and then again in verses 21 through 23, Jesus is warning them and saying, hey, people are going to come who are going to try to, to, to distract you. People are going to come who are going to try to confuse you. They're going to be teaching other things. They're going to be saying, hey, we know when the end of the world is. They're going to be saying, follow us. And Jesus says, they're going to lead many astray. So Jesus gives a warning in that moment to his disciples. 
right? Think about the big picture here. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He'll die on the cross. He'll be resurrected. And then not too long after that, Jesus will ascend into heaven. Jesus is kind of letting them know, like, hey, I'm not going to be here, but know this. People are going to try to confuse you. People are going to come and say, hey, I'm the next Messiah. I'm this, I'm that. And Jesus says, be on guard against false teachers, against false beliefs, against people and ideas that seek to lead us away from the truth of Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, how do we know? How do we know who's trying to lead us astray? Well, first of all, we have to look at the Bible. We have to start there and say, who is Jesus? What did he say? How do we follow him? But then we have to ask the questions. If someone is telling us something, are they taking away something from the message of Jesus? Are they subtracting something? Saying, yes, follow Jesus, but don't worry about this. Don't worry about sin. It's okay if you do whatever. Are they taking away and subtracting, subtracting from Jesus? Or people can come and say, hey, this is Jesus, but are they adding to it? Yes, you can follow Jesus, but you also need to do this. You need to dress this way. You need to do this thing. You need to act this way. You need to be this way. This is taking away from or adding to the message of Jesus. And Jesus warns us against false teachers that come and say something less or something more than who Jesus is. And all throughout history, this is proven true. The people have come and tried to lead people astray, trying to say, hey, I'm the one. I'm the next Messiah. I'm in all these things. But Jesus says, be on guard. And he, in verse 23, he kind of reiterates all of that. He says, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So Jesus is saying, hey, it's coming. Be ready. All right? So the first one, be on guard against false teachers. Secondly, be on guard. Things will get worse. All right. This is really cheery this morning, so stick with me, right? But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. It's going to get worse. He says, I know. Don't worry. So verses 7 and 8 point to that. They say, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. The end is not yet. And then he says, nation will rise against nation. There'll be earthquakes and famine and things will get worse. We see this to be true in our lives and all throughout history. There are wars. There are rumors of wars. There are earthquakes. There are famines. There are things. I don't know if that means that the coming of Christ is close or not, but I know that we can look and say, okay, Jesus told us these things were going to happen. Don't be alarmed. Things will get worse. What we see here is that creation itself is not what it should be. The creation itself is broken, leading to earthquakes and famines and all these things. But Jesus is saying these things are signs and things that point you to the fact that I am coming again. That this world, the creation and the world and all that we live in is not all that there is. There's something more coming. So Jesus says, be on guard because things will get worse. And he warns us. And that doesn't mean that Jesus was just this super negative, glass half empty guy. It doesn't mean that's the way that we are. We'll get to that. But we have to recognize the truth of God's word that the world is not on this like steady improvement and things are just going to one day be utopia. No, Jesus says things are going to fall apart, but there's something greater that's going to happen. Jesus is coming. So third, be on guard. Persecution is coming. What's persecution? It's people who are against Jesus, people who are against the church, people that want to destroy the message and the messengers of Jesus. So Jesus says, hey, be on guard. They're going to deliver you over to these councils. You're going to be beaten. All these things are going to happen. And Jesus warns his followers that they will suffer for following him. It shouldn't be a surprise 
Now, most of us have no clue the depth and the extent to which that can go, right? We kind of live in a culture where someone could, like, make fun of us or someone could be like, you guys are dumb. Why do you follow Jesus? And that is a form of people, like, pushing against. But there is an extent of persecution that's happening right now in the world. And Jesus has warned his followers, be on guard because persecution is coming. And in, in the immediate, Jesus is telling them, he's talking about the book of Acts, because when you go read the book of Acts, this is exactly what happened. They were beaten. They were put before these, sin- they were beaten in the synagogue. They were taken before these councils. They were taken before these leaders. Paul and those who were with him were taken before all these rulers and officials, and they were persecuted because of their faith. But we have to understand that boldly sharing Jesus is what leads to persecution, right? If you want to stop po- persecution, if you want to avoid persecution, whether like small kind of like people making fun of you persecution or intense like you're going to die for your faith persecution, if you want to stop that and avoid that, then stop following Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. Blend in with everybody else. That's when persecution stops. What Jesus is saying is when we as the church continue to proclaim Jesus as the only way, when we continue to proclaim Jesus as our hope and our Savior and the one that deserves our lives, then people are continually going to say, no, we don't want that. And Jesus says, be on guard. Persecution is coming. In verse 10, Jesus says, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. It's this idea that the return of Christ and the spread of the gospel are linked together. That as the message of Jesus goes out, that there is part of God's plan that Jesus says, The message of Jesus is going to spread, and at some point, I'm going to come back. As we share the gospel, the return of Christ is linked to the spread of the gospel. That doesn't mean I know when that's going to happen, right? Graham put these notes in the sermon last night, and he texted me and said, hey, are you going to give us a prediction about when the end of the world is? I said, I'm working on the calculations right now, but obviously I'm not, right? But Jesus gives an encouragement. He actually gives two encouragements as he's talking about this persecution. He says, don't be anxious about what to say. You can read in the book of Acts. Paul was taken before these like high officials, taken before um, these kings and all these people. But Jesus says, when you get in those places, don't worry. Don't be anxious about what you say. Because when you are in that moment, when you step into that moment of following God with where he is taking you, he says, the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit will give you words to say in that moment. And it's the same for us. It's an encouragement to us that when we say, how can I stand up for my faith? How can I do what's right in my job? How can I stand up for my faith with my neighbors? I don't know what to say. And yet the message of Jesus is don't be anxious. Walk with Jesus. And when you step into that moment, the Holy Spirit in you will tell you what to say, will give you the wisdom of what to say in those moments. Jesus comes down to to verse, uh, verse 13, and he says this. He says, you will be hated for his namesake. For my, we will be hated for the sake of Jesus. Well, that sounds nice, doesn't it? No, not really, right? But this is the reality of following and proclaiming Jesus. That some people, and maybe many people, won't like it and will push back against it. And will say, you need to sit down and be quiet because that's too close-minded to say that Jesus is the way to God. Or you need to sit down and be quiet because you're not right. All these things, Jesus said, you will be hated. Here's the message here. Jesus told us this. Don't be alarmed. As we follow Jesus, people will come against it. 
There is a cost to following Jesus, and that's what Jesus is telling him. He's like, guys, this is going to be difficult. But he ends also with verse 13 with an encouragement. He says, be faithful, stand firm. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here's what that means, that your perseverance, when you keep going, when you keep living out your faith and keep sharing your faith, your perseverance is proof of your faith. That as we keep going, it is, in, it is evident that Jesus has changed us. It's evident of a heart that has changed. Our perseverance is proof of our faith in Jesus and proof that our lives have been changed by Jesus. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And there is a reality that things will get worse as we near the return of Jesus. And so, again, be on guard and ready for the return of Jesus. So Jesus starts by saying, be on guard. Pay attention. Secondly, second point, be ready. Multiple times Jesus says, be ready because I'm going to come again. Let's look at verses 24 through 27. And it clearly says, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then it says this, verse 26, and then they will see the Son of Man, which is Jesus, coming in clouds with great power and glory. We have a promise from Jesus where he says, I'm going to come again. There's a lot happening there. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know what that's going to look like. And it sounds intense, and it may be. But we know this, that Jesus, the ultimate truth there is Jesus says, I am coming back. Be ready. Then he gives us in verses 28 through 31, he gives us a lesson from a fig tree. So he gives us kind of a word picture to think about, right? It's basically, he says, as soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. So in the springtime, when you start to see things kind of budding out of the trees, you're like, ooh, it's almost spring and summer. Great, no more snow and everyone's happy, right? So Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to see these things and they're going to be, there'll be warning signs that Jesus is going to come again. Then we come down to verses 32 through 37, the end of this. And Jesus actually, he actually circles back. So this is funny, right? Jesus does this sometimes. The disciples asked him a question, and then Jesus gave them a very, very long answer. And then here in verse 32, he circles back and actually answers their original question, right? Because what did they say? When will these things happen, and what will be the signs? So Jesus started with the signs. Then he comes back and answers their first question. Because Jesus says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. You don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus says, No one knows. I don't even know. Only my Father in heaven. And there's a truth here, and this is a, kind of a side note. It's like, Well, I thought Jesus was God. How come he doesn't know? Jesus, when he was on earth, willingly gave up his position in heaven with God. He willingly became human and took on flesh and willingly limited himself in many ways. He became human. He couldn't be everywhere at once. He couldn't do everything at once because he was human. And so this is an instance where we don't, like it doesn't all seem clear, but Jesus himself is saying, in that moment he's saying, I don't know when it's going to be. Only my Father in heaven knows that. So we don't know when it's going to be. And if anyone tells you they do know when Jesus is coming back, they are wrong right? Because they don't know. Because clearly from Scripture, Jesus says, this is something that the Father knows when Jesus will return. So Jesus says, be on guard, keep awake, because Christ could return at any time. And he gives us an example. He's like, imagine uh, a guy going on a journey. He tells his servants, all right, I'm going on a journey. 
He tells the doorkeeper, stay awake, stay alert, because when I come back, I want the light to be on, I want some food to be ready, I want everything to be nice. And so every day they have no idea. Is today the day? They don't know. They have to be alert. And it's a beautiful picture of how we are to interact with this idea of Jesus is returning, that we are aware and paying attention each and every day. We don't know when Jesus will turn, but we must be ready. We must stay awake. He uses that word multiple times. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Okay, I have been known to fall asleep in many, many places. Um, at one point in time, I was um, doing this like work project thing. I was helping this like service project, and I was helping some people put a metal roof on a house, and it was summer, and it was really hot. My job, I was up on the roof, and they were handing up the sheet metal, and then I was helping screw it in. So I was waiting for some guys to go get some more sheet metal, and I'm sitting there on the roof, and I fell asleep. That's a dangerous place to fall asleep. I did not stay awake. Um, does anyone ever know, like, um, so now we use like a, a video projector, but back in the day, there was an overhead projector. You know those things? It's like, it's got like mirrors and lights and you put the clear things down. So one time I was um, at this place and um, we were helping lead worship for a thing, but it was a specific thing where um, there was another person leading worship, but I had to sit and I literally was sitting like on the stage and like there was people here and here leading worship and it was my job to put the things up. Um, I fell asleep and woke up and realized I was like two pages behind. Um, so, stay awake. And Jesus gives this example. He says, stay awake, be alert, pay attention. Because we don't know when Jesus will return. Well, does that mean that we live in this, like, constant, like, we wake up every day and it's like we just sit and wait for Jesus to come back? Well, no, let's get into what this looks like and what we talked about, all right? Um, I'm kind of a baseball fan, and I know some specific people in this room who are not baseball fans, but in baseball, there is something called the ready position, probably in every sport, but in baseball, it's very clear, the ready position. Does anybody know the ready position? No, maybe not. Baseball, you guys are not baseball people. It's okay, but I'll describe it. So the ready position, if you are in the field playing defense, right, you have got to be, you've got your glove, and you are ready, and you're watching when the ball is thrown, and you're watching because if the ball is hit to you, you need to be ready. When I was a kid, they teach you, learn the ready position, you know, be, be ready, pay attention, all these things. There were always some kids who were not in the ready position, right? They're standing in the field, and they're looking at the clouds, and they're playing with ants in the, in the dirt, or they're playing with bugs. They're singing songs. They were not in the ready position. They were not ready for the ball to come to them. This is kind of a picture of what we can do in our lives, right? Because we can get distracted by everything else, and our focus is not on Jesus. And we are not living in a way that we are on guard and ready for the return of Jesus. We have to think, are we in the ready position? Are we ready? And how can we be on guard and ready for the return of Jesus? So let's look at some practical ways as we kind of begin the process of wrapping up. That's the way a pastor says, like, I've got more to say, but we're getting there, right? So track with me. You good? All right, so... What's this look like in our daily lives? Hopefully this is practical. How can we be on guard and ready for the return of Jesus? First thing I want to point to is this. And it seems self-explanatory, but daily focus on Jesus. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean that we defend against the distractions in our lives by having daily rhythms of time with God. The way that we keep ourselves from being distracted by everything else is daily rhythms of time with God. That's time in the Bible, time reading God's words, time in prayer, time in worship, putting our attention, our focus on God, time in community with other believers. 
When we have these patterns and rhythms in our lives, it, keep, it guards us and keeps us from the distractions in the world. The distractions of getting all off base and being like, you know, staring at the clouds and the bugs and the dirt and whatever. It keeps us in the ready position. This is how we stay awake, stay alert, and stay focused in, in this spiritually speaking way. Daily rhythms of time with God. So, daily focus on Jesus. And that is practical because it has to do with, well, if I want to follow Jesus, then what do I do tomorrow? What do I do on Thursday? What do I do as I go through this week? We begin to say, okay, how can I create a time and a space in my life where I can have time to read God's word, to pray, and put my attention and my focus on God? And don't start by saying, like, okay, I've got to have an hour and a half, or I've got, no. I mean, as simple as, today I'm going to take five minutes to pray, five minutes to read scripture, and five minutes to worship and think about who God is. Begin building those rhythms in your life and thinking about that, and it guards us from being distracted by everything else in life. Secondly, how do we make this practical? Second thing is we anticipate the coming of Jesus. So this is a little bit of like kind of a discipline and a practice to remind ourselves, hey, Jesus is coming again. This life, this world is not all that there is. And really, as we anticipate, this is our hope. Think about part of a massive part of what it means to be a Christian is that we are saved out of our sin. We're forgiven by Jesus, and we are given eternal life, which is right now, the presence of God living in us, making us different, changing us, making us more like Jesus, but it is not yet. It's one day in eternity. Part of being a Christian is the understanding that we will live with God in eternity. This is our hope as we anticipate the coming of Jesus, and in the world that we live in, things are broken, but we have hope of eternity with Jesus. Because we can kind of take a step back from, like, life. We get so, like, tunnel vision and focused on what's right in front of me today, and we get so focused on things, those things, but we can take a step back and say, okay, how can I live with the end in mind? Because if we can think about how we can live with the end in mind and understanding that Jesus is returning, that we will be with him for eternity, it changes the way that we live today. And it causes us this anticipation, this idea of Jesus coming back. It causes us to focus on what is important. To focus on putting a relationship with God first. To focus on loving people, spending time with people, forgiving people, teaching others how to follow Jesus, our friends, our kids, our neighbors. It causes, this anticipation causes us to learn how to not waste time and get distracted by all kinds of stuff. I'm the first to say, it is so easy to waste time. Anybody get stuck scrolling and then like watching those weird little videos that Facebook loads in and you're like, hey, watch this guy make a knife out of a, I don't know, out of a metal chair and I'll sit there, ooh, what's he going to do? I, and you watch and like, I don't care but I just watched it for three minutes, right? So how do we guard ourselves? One of the things we anticipate Jesus is by not wasting time. Not wasting time with think, getting completely sucked into entertainment and buying stuff and pleasure and comfort. It's not that those things are awful. We should enjoy the life that God has given us, but when those things begin to pull us away and move our focus away from Jesus, we are wasting time. We're getting stuck in stuff that does not have eternal significance. 
And learning to live anticipating Jesus teaches us to live by focusing on what is eternally significant, which narrows the list a lot because it really comes down to God's word, right? What did Jesus say? He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We want to focus on what's eternally significant. We'll focus on what God has said, and we'll think about people because people are eternally significant. Ephesians chapter 3, talking about not wasting time. Ephesians 3, verses 15 through 17 says this. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Right? What's Paul saying? Don't waste your time on stuff that doesn't matter, that's not eternally significant. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Guys, this is practical. And it literally means, am I going to sit and scroll through social media for an hour and a half? Or or am I going to do things that are eternally significant? Am I going to sit and watch Netflix for three hours? Or am I going to do things that are eternally significant? Again, you guys, please know, like, this doesn't mean I will not watch. I will not use social media. That's not what I'm talking about. But are we allowing those things to just kind of, like, become part of our daily rhythm and just kind of numbing us and wasting our time? It's possible. Another thing, when I was a kid, I played a computer game called Duke Nukem, and my dad would say, you're wasting time, right? I beat the game, but I probably was wasting time. All right, so that was not in my sermon notes, so I should stop before I lose track here. So second thing there is we anticipate the coming of Jesus. Thirdly, how do we make this practical? How, do, how are we on guard and ready? I think it's that we share Jesus with urgency. Be on guard and ready for the return of Jesus. We do that by sharing Jesus with urgency. Jesus is coming again. And when he returns, this is reality, all those who are in Christ, those who have put their faith in Jesus, will spend eternity with him in heaven. But the other reality is true, that all those who are not in Christ, who have not put their faith, who have not surrendered their lives to Jesus, will be separated from him for eternity in hell. And I get it, this seems really extreme and not a popular idea, but when we look at the Bible, this is what we see. And we can stand back and say, well, why would God do that? That seems really mean. That seems really cruel of God. But we have to understand the reality of the gospel. It's this, that every single one of us deserve hell. Our sin has separated us from God, and we deserve to be separated from God for eternity. And so then, instead of saying, well, how in the world could God do that? What if we stand back and say, man, how in the world could God be so gracious? He's provided a way that we can be in eternity with him, that we can be in relationship with him. And that would be enough. But imagine if that was, yes, you can be in relationship with God, but you need to work really, really hard. And you need to like, be better than other people. And if you make the cut, then you'll be an attorney with God. Even then, we'd be like, man, God is so gracious. He's made a way for us to come. But it's even beyond that. The grace of God is that he says, anyone who comes to me in faith and puts their faith in me and says, Jesus, you are the one, the way that I get to heaven, this is the grace of God to us that he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Put your faith in me and I will forgive your sin. And so instead of us looking and saying, how could God 
have a place called hell, we say, how could God be so gracious that he has made a way that we come to him? It is not God's heart that anyone should perish. It is not God's desire that anyone would die and be separated from him in hell. And yet God, that's why God has made a way for anyone, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what background, no matter what we've done, to say, Jesus, would you make me right? And God has done everything so that we can be made right with God and be in eternity with him. And so because of this, when we think about people are, people have eternal significance, that people will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell, there is an urgency to share Jesus with others. There's an urgency to wrestle with these own questions in our own lives, to say, have I surrendered my life to Jesus Have I put my faith in Jesus as the only way to know God? There's an urgency to share Jesus, and it matters because people are separated from God and need to hear the truth that they are created to be in relationship with God. We must, as Christians and as the church, share Jesus with urgency. What does that mean? It means that we are aware and paying attention to the people around us that God has brought into our lives to be able to, on a regular basis, show them with our lives what it means to follow Jesus and speak to them with our mouths of how Jesus has changed our lives. There's an urgency to share because eternity matters. This morning, when you think about the return of Jesus, what do you feel in your heart? Is it joy? Is it fear? Is it skepticism and doubt? My encouragement this morning is that you will wrestle with these things and wrestle with these thoughts because it is so important to think about the end of time. We don't have to be obsessed with it, right? But aware, thinking about the end of time because it impacts the way that we live right now. Because without Jesus, and if Jesus is not coming back, thinking about the end of time only can lead to hopelessness. Only can lead to this idea of just like, everything will be nothing and we'll just cease to exist. And it leads to a point of hopelessness to say, well, then if everything is pointless and hopeless and it's going to cease to exist, then why does it matter what I do right now? Right? But with Jesus it leads to great hope. With the truth that Jesus is coming again, it leads us to great hope that the world is not just what we see right now, that there is the hope the hope of eternity, that Jesus has made a way that we can be in relationship with him. And we make ourselves ready for the return of Jesus, for the work of the gospel, the work of the good news in our lives. Think about this. You and I, on a personal level, we become ready for eternity by the work of Jesus in our lives. When we put our faith in him and we recognize and realize that he removes our sin, he makes us right with God. There's a song that says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, meaning I shouldn't trust anybody, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then it goes on to say, when he shall come, when Jesus comes with trumpet sound, we sing this song here, right? When he shall come with trumpet sound, may I then in him be found. And then it says this line, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. 
This work of Jesus in our hearts is what makes us ready for eternity. That the reason that you and I can be faultless before the throne of God, the reason that we can stand before God and say, God, I'm sinful, but you have saved me, is because of the work of Jesus. So we ready ourselves for eternity by trusting the work of Jesus in our lives, that he's the one that removes our sin. He's the one that makes us right with God. And secondly, when we think about the gospel, we are called as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to join God in his work of others being made ready for the return of Jesus. We already talked about this, so we share Jesus with urgency because God has called us not only to let the gospel work in our own lives, to let the message of Jesus work in us, but that we would allow it to work through us to others. So what is the gospel? What is this idea of the gospel? We talk about this often, and it means good news, but I want you to see it kind of in four phases here this morning. I want you to think about it this way. That the Bible tells us of creation, that God created everything, and it was perfect. And what God created, he created humans in relationship with him. But when you read through the Bible, when you get to Genesis chapter 3, we see that the first humans came to a point where they doubted the goodness of God and they said, we're going to do it our own way. And they said, we want to run our own lives. And at that moment, sin entered the world and they fell. They fell away from God. They were separated from God because of their sin. And we live in that fallen and broken time. But we, after we've had creation and after the fall of man and the, the sin of humanity, God had a plan for redemption, for bringing people back to himself. And that plan was his son, Jesus. And Jesus stepped out of heaven, became human like you and I. He was born of a virgin and lived a sinless and perfect life and died on the cross to cover our sin, to pay for our sin, to redeem us, to make us right with God. This is the truth and the hope of Jesus, but that's not the end of the story because what is coming is restoration. That what God created in the beginning of all things created perfectly. The Bible says they were good. Everything was right. Humans were in relationship with God. The earth flourished. What we see when we read the end of the Bible is a picture of restoration of all things being made new and being restored into relationship with God, creation itself being restored into what God created it to be. What an incredible thought, an incredible idea that we live in a world that is obviously, there are problems in our world and our climate. We see these things. But the ultimate hope is the idea and the truth that all things will be restored the way that God created them to be. And ultimately, Jesus is victorious. He is coming again. You and I live in a broken world. We feel the pain and the weight of life. But at the same time, we can know the joy and hope of following Jesus. And there's tension between these two things. Tension of feeling the brokenness and tension of knowing that we have hope. That's why the end of the Bible, when when uh, in the book of Revelation, when John writes about this and writes about Jesus coming again, he says this simple phrase. He says, come, Lord Jesus. And this prayer right in the middle of that where we say, I feel the brokenness, but I know there's hope. We make it our prayer and say, Jesus, come because I want to be with you. Would you give us strength to walk with you? Would you give us boldness to share the gospel? Would you let us be the people of God, 
shining light in darkness. But we pray, come, Lord Jesus. This morning, how do you need to respond? Maybe this morning you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to wrestle with that idea of the eternal significance of I will spend eternity either in heaven with God or in hell separated from God. You need to wrestle through. Have I come to that place where I've said, I put my faith in Jesus as the only way that my sins are forgiven, that I am made new, and I've surrendered my life to say, Jesus, you are my king, and I put my faith in you. Because if you have not come to that point, then I challenge you to say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you because it is eternally significant. And if you have not put your hope and faith in Jesus, then the end of the world should bring fear because there is an unknown to that. And yet in Jesus, we can have a confidence and a hope that our eternity is with him. Maybe today the response that you need to have is that you need to create and establish daily time with God. You need to say, okay, and be practical. When? When am I going to spend time in God's word and in prayer and in worship? Where? How long? What am I going to do? We want to help you with those things. If you want help answering those questions, let us help you with that. But you may need to establish those things. How am I making those things patterns in my life? Maybe you need to stop wasting time and say, you know what, I'm spending way too much time doing whatever it is, and I need to enjoy it in proper amounts, but I need to use my time in ways that are wise. Maybe you need to tell someone about Jesus, a friend, a neighbor, a family member that you've been holding off on, but maybe you need to say, God, would you, would you open that door so that I can share with them the message of Jesus? Whatever it is that God is challenging and working in your heart this morning, we're going to we're gonna, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm just going to give, give us a few moments to think and to pray just kind of on your own and ask God, God, what are you speaking to me? After the service, we'd love to pray with you. Come, talk, come to the Connect table and talk to one of us or just walk up to us. We would love to pray with you or answer questions, but we want to give time this morning to think about what God is speaking and how we can respond. Be on guard and ready for the return of Jesus. Let's pray together.